This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Good evening, dummies. Episode 136. Thank you for being here. Wednesday, April 14th, 7.13 p.m. Rapid fire tonight. What are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about Shaq Fu and an engagement ring and a noble gesture from this gentle giant. We're also going to go into the division of the United States and can America ever get back on track? A beautiful piece that I think will enrich your hearts and minds. April 14th, Wednesday, 136. I may have already said it. I figure I'd say it again. It's good to be here with you. And I don't know if you know this, but Shaquille O'Neal's number one fear is he is afraid of drowning, but he also has a new boat. Why? Because he's rich. So he wanted to name it something that invoked confidence, so he named it the free throw. That way he'll never sink it. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest, always direct. So sit back, relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Thank you, everybody, for stopping by. It's wonderful to see you. Matthew Spear with Don't Unfriend Me. Here are my social tags. And it is great to be here with you tonight. You can join me on these wonderful social platforms. You can find me at, at Don't Unfriend Me on Instagram and YouTube and at Don't Unfriend Me host on Facebook and Anchor for my podcasts. And I'm also on Spotify and iHeart and iTunes and all that other stuff. Stop by and thank you. Folks, the word of the day isn't a word at all. It's more of a saying. And the saying is don't let people live in your head rent free. Don't let people define you. Don't let them control you. Don't let them be naysayers. Believe in yourself. 98 people, 99 people can say you're fantastic and it's that one person you listen to. Don't. They just have daddy issues. They were touched as a child. Don't feed the trolls. Today I fed a troll because it was fun, but you can't do it, folks. Just just get those people out of your life. It says don't unfriend me. It doesn't say never don't unfriend me. Sometimes you got to take negativity out of your life, and it's okay. Make that decision quickly. Don't let people drag you down. Believe in yourself. Have faith. Shaquille O'Neal played for the Orlando Magic. I think he played for the Miami Heat, played for the Lakers. He's a towering man. He was on a movie called Shaq Fu and also Blue Chips. Blue Chips was pretty good with Nick Nolte. But he did something that was just awesome, and I wanted to share it because we don't do enough feel-good stories, and we're talking about the division of America, but this is the type of stuff. When we're seeing literally black people shot by police officers, when we're seeing police officers fired, when we're seeing riots and people who have no idea why they're rioting, wanting to burn down America, there's only one person to blame. Canadians. No, it's not Canadians. I'm kidding. It's this division and this culture. So we're going to talk about that tonight. First, I want to show you this video. I'll set it up for you. Shaquille O'Neal was in a store. Looked like looks like a Jared's maybe or something to that effect. There's a young man in there buying an engagement ring. 
and Shaq decides to pull out his card and pay for it himself. This is not something new for Shaq. He does this all the time. He buys sneakers for kids. He gives back to the community, the charities. He has made a name for himself, and he makes money hand over fist, not just in basketball, but outside of basketball. He is a gentle soul. He is a kind soul. A lot of people don't know things about him. Like He has a doctorate that he's a volunteer law enforcement. Overall, that he only made one one three-pointer in the NBA ever, but single-handedly was probably one of the best centers in the game. I think Wilt Chamberlain was up there too, if I'm not mistaken. Let's watch the video. You know, this is the first time. Every time you come in here, I always get on 30 minutes before you come in here. You know, seriously, just hands over his credit card and says, Merry Christmas. Can you imagine how excited that kid is? I mean, engagement rings are expensive. It took me almost 15 years to buy my wife's because we couldn't afford it. And I think it's a beautiful gesture. Uh, Five days after Shaq stepped in and paid for Dalton Davis's engagement ring, he proposed to his uh, girlfriend. Inside Edition was there to watch it and to capture the special moment. You can find it on the Internet. Social media went absolutely nuts when NBA Hall of Famer Shaquille O'Neal stepped up and helped Dalton Davis pay for an engagement ring at Zales Jewelry. Zales Vine store in Atlanta. Shaq happened to be shopping at the same store when he heard Davis discussing payment options for the ring he was thinking of buying. He stepped in and insisted on covering the costs for Davis. I tried turning him down, saying I couldn't accept the offer, and he insisted. And that's just a really big guy to say no to. (laughs) That's a great line. Davis said five days later, uh, he was there, and Dalton popped the question to his girlfriend. Somehow, she hadn't seen the viral video. The couple says Shaq is at the top of their wedding list in today's world when there is so much controversy so much hate so much anger it's beautiful to see things like this you know it reminds me of the conversation that had on facebook earlier that's not the important thing we need to stop arguing with people on facebook there has never been an argument won on facebook and there never will be the only way it's done is this person to person having somebody sit across from you or on webcam where you see their eyes or in person or over the phone. It's amazing when you have social interaction, how it changes people's tones. I assure you that Abraham is the gentleman's name. Certainly would never have talked to me the way he did. If we were in person, I've seen his Facebook page, not necessarily a towering figure, but that's not important. It doesn't matter. It's just as bad as him thinking that I'm some knuckle dragger because I have tattoos and a beard and he's from Harvard and has two degrees. Judgment is one of the biggest reasons why we are where we are. And Shaq could have sat there and said, well, that money's mine and I'm not going to do this. He could have judged that kid and waited for an African-American kid to come in. He didn't care about race or color. Somebody needed help and he helped them. And that is the key. We do so many things for other people when it benefits us alone when we should just help as many people as we possibly can. That's what the world should be. We shouldn't argue about taxes. We shouldn't argue about Republican or Democrat. Those are stupid things that distract us. Let's argue about how we can help more effectively the people in our circle, the people in our shadow, the people we impact. Let's figure out better ways where we can all row. We can all rise the tide. So all ships follow suit. That's what this is all about. 
But there's something in America that's changed. We've changed. We're not the same country. We're emboldened. We're emboldened to argue for no reason and make judgments about people that we know nothing about. We don't know anything. I don't know this man. He doesn't know me. Why do we allow it to bother us? Why do we allow it to take us off course? Because in the scheme of things, we all want to be accepted. And a lot of people want to be liked. Some people don't. And that's a gift beyond gift. But they have other inequities. Most people care about what people think about them. But ask yourself the question, does anyone truly know you? Everyone has secrets. Everyone has different thoughts. Everyone rolls their eyes in the middle of a conversation or say something to themselves. What is it about Facebook that takes our conscience and puts it in digital ones and zeros? Why do we feel the need to bear our soul to talk about divorce or talk about other things that we normally wouldn't say in person, but we vent on Facebook? Why would we call people idiots and stupid and Canucks? Doesn't make sense. How are we going to heal our divided nation? It's the defining challenge of our time. This is our world war. Nothing less than the success of an American experiment is at stake. Our problems won't be solved with a single election or a new president. Hyperpartisanship has poisoned our politics to such an extent that it compromised our response to COVID-19 pandemic, fueled the spread of disinformation, and sparked the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. And none of these are mutually exclusive. It's not just one person's fault or one party. It was a combined effort. Just like BLM had everything to do with the January 6th Capitol riots. If you think that the attackers on January 6th didn't say, well, if BLM can get away with it, why can't I? You're insane because, of course, they did. There's plenty of blame to go around. But the U.S. was fraying long before Donald Trump became president with growing gaps between the rich and poor as well as deep cultural divides between urban and rural communities. The urban communities strayed from God. This isn't everybody. And the rural communities clinged to God. And that's not for everybody. But generally, our beliefs changed. Schools started teaching liberalism and started teaching a different way to do things other than a republic, democracy, or a a union of states to make up the whole federal government. Capitalism was no longer sexy. And it came to doing other things like progressivism, liberalism, socialism. And there is a divide in the country that arts are more important than other forms of teaching and learning. That cultural sensitivity is more important than awareness and honesty. That stopping people from saying certain things is more important than free speech. And it's created division. And either side, the jury's out. I would like to think that the side on the right is correct. And in my opinion, I agree with the right more than the left. But I think this whole thought process of denying anyone the right to speak simply because they don't believe in what we believe is the problem. The result of that is that America often feels like it's coming apart with clashing tribes caught in feedback loops of distrust and resentment, amplified online and manipulated through disinformation, driving us toward ever greater levels of mutual incomprehension. We simply don't understand each other anymore. I posted a simple meme and it was taken so far out of context where it's supposed to generate conversation and dialogue. 
The words taxation is theft is a very simple statement that is extremely complex to define if you don't have context. What if I said taxation is theft because we don't have a balanced budget and the monies that we spend are not voted on by America. They're decided by people who are in office for overreaching time periods who have political action committees fund them to make their decisions. And the self-interest is the only interest that defies the people's interest. Now is taxation theft? Most assuredly it is. If you misappropriate the dollars you take from Americans saying that our roads and bridges will get better, that our infrastructure will repair, that we will invest in technology, that we will help the homeless or rebuild our cities or whatever it is, and none of that happens and the money gets shipped overseas, why is that okay with you? Why is that a point of no comprehension? And the other hand is, is what if we actually have people who believe that taxes are the answer? Raising taxes are the answer. Why can't we listen to them? It doesn't mean we have to agree. It doesn't mean we can't have discourse. It doesn't mean they're right. But we can listen. That costs nothing, especially if we believe in the golden rule that we treat others like we want to be treated. Well, we don't do that on Facebook. We don't do that anymore. We stab each other in the back. We talk bad about people. We try to one-up each other who has the best vacation, the happiest life, who has the most degrees. Well, none of it matters. Because based upon my experience, my degree means nothing compared to your degree, according to you. And my degree is completely different. It may be an experience of overseas, firing weapons downrange and being fired upon. It might be coming from a place of alcoholism or drug addiction. You might have a silver spoon in your mouth. We can't possibly understand who we're talking to on the other end of the computer. And we certainly can't learn it by going through a Facebook profile, finding out where they live and if they're married, single, or it's complicated. We can only find it out through dialogue and conversation and questions. Also, with discourse. We have to argue. How many times have we had to argue with our spouses or our loved ones or our girlfriend or even our children to establish a level of trust? Yet we're expected, simply somebody wanders into our thread, to believe in what they say, trust them, and vice versa. It's asinine. It's not real. People on different sides of this divide fear that the other side hates their kind. They have a point. A 2019 study found that roughly 42% of both parties view the opposition as downright evil. In this environment, there is an understandable temptation to fight political fire with fire, but that doesn't solve anything. That will only burn the whole house down. To emerge stronger and wiser from this severe civic stress test, we need to put country over party. We need to address the deeper causes of our divisions while developing a unifying vision that can guide policy debates going forward. We call it the UNUM test. Here's how it works. Put partisan blinders aside and ask yourself which policies would have the long-term effect of uniting or further dividing our country. The policies that pass the test won't all come from one party or ideology. That's precisely why it offers an off-ramp from our bitter polarized debates. The UNUM test can reunite our nation because it is rooted in principle and practically it is rooted in practicality, not partisan agendas, allowing us to make progress towards a more fair, 
just, and prosperous nation. It can help us achieve a political system where solving problems is put ahead of destroying the other side, an economic system that rebuilds the middle class and ensures equal opportunity and social mobility for all Americans, a civic culture that emphasizes shared values and the dignity of every individual while protecting the open debate that democracy depends on. What is UNAM? It's an idea that flows from the earliest ideas of our republic. The United States of America was the first nation born out of an idea rather than a tribal identity. Our constitution begins with a call that transforms subjects into citizens. We the people. The founders crystallized our mission with a national motto, e pluribus unum, out of many, one and placed it above the eagle holding a cluster of arrows and an olive branch on the great seal of the United States. E pluribus unum remains the key to what America is and what makes America exceptional in the eyes of the world. America's role as imperfect but diverse democratic republic stands in clear contrast to the history of other nations and countries, as well as the ethno-nationalist parties and surveillance state autocracies that are on the rise today. At our best, America remains a rebellious project against tribal and fundamentalist forces. And e pluribus unum is literally the opposite of us against them, the demagogue's eternal calling card. If we consciously aim to elevate unum over the divisive forces that encourage groupthink and group blame, it will lead us to a durable reforms rooted in broadly shared American values in the intertwined area of politics, economics, and culture. Politics. 80% of Americans say they are concerned about political polarization. 78% of Americans believe it's important that Republicans and Democrats work together. How can we achieve that, though? First, by changing the twisted incentive structure in our politics. The rigged system of congressional redistricting can result in parties losing the statewide vote, but still winning more seats in Congress. Ronald Reagan called this the anti-democratic and un-American practice of gerrymandering, and it happens on both sides. Let's stop pretending. Today, 90% of members of Congress live in safe seats without meaningful congressional general elections, while about 30% of the state legislative races are not even contested. This empowers partisan extremes, especially in closed party primaries, and typically drives down turnout while decentivizing bipartisan compromise. Independent nonpartisan redistricting commissions combined with open primaries may make elections more competitive and representative, driving increased turnout and giving candidates an incentive to reach out beyond their party's base during campaigns, and especially when they reach Congress. Reforms like ranked choice, voting with runoffs, also provide candidates with a powerful disincentive for going negative against opponents because they want to win over their opponent supporters, which should open the door to more constructive congressional debates. It also may encourage more independent candidates to participate in politics. It's worth remembering that the Constitution doesn't mention political parties, and our founding fathers despise political parties in Canadians. That's not true. Contrary to what many in Washington apparently believe, partisanship is not, in fact, the purpose of our politics. To restore trust in the fairness of our elections, we need to strengthen voting rights and election security systems with backup paper ballots while combating all forms of voter suppression. It's both sides of the argument. We need to ensure the integrity of our elections, but also ensure that everyone has a right to vote, period. 
That means Black Panther standing on the steps or the KKK. Unacceptable. We should lower obstacles to voter participation, adopt automatic voter registration for all eligible citizens, and expand early voting, including mail-in voting, which has proven effective at increasing participation. However, there are some basic requirements to be a U.S. citizen, to have a valid form of ID, and to have checks and balances against all of those. And with none of them, we see what happened in 2020, a quagmire of an election, and everybody believes that it wasn't properly run, even the winners. Everybody has questions. Many of these reforms are being considered in Congress right now. Though the For the People Act would go further in many areas, it's very, very limited that it's one-sided. And that is the problem with these legislations. The legislations that we have only impact one party for four years, and then the next president comes in and changes it. We need constitutional amendments to our voting regulations. We need to poll the American people. We need to ensure that the census is accurate. We need to have many voices involved. We need to have experts from all around the country come in and talk about the best way to fix our elections. Finally, growing concerns about political corruption need to be addressed before they fundamentally compromise the credibility of our democracy. It is past time for reforms that reduce the influence of big money on elections. Compel legislatures to disclose if any of the language in their bills have been drafted by people with a financial interest in its passage, while requiring more transparency about donors to dark money, super PACs, so on and so on. Presidential candidates should be required to be 100% open and honest about their financials and about any personal issues or conflicts that they've ever had, including sexual impropriety, any type of lawsuits, any type of hush money, any interest, foreign investments overseas, all of it. Family members of presidents should not have the ability to influence national policy. I understand people loved Ivanka and Donald. I understand that people wanted that relationship, and they did a lot of great things. But nepotism is not meant for the White House, and all parties should absolutely keep them away, including that I don't want the First Lady making policy like Hillary Clinton. Nepotism happens everywhere, but it should not happen in the Oval Office. Presidential pardons should be processed through the proper channels in the Justice Department. These reforms will not solve all of our problems, but the Clintons getting millions of dollars against people who they pardoned is unacceptable. But if you change the rules, you change the game, and you'll begin to change the culture around our politics. These reforms collectively pass the Unum test because they would reduce the influence of political extremes, increase transparency, and restore trust in the integrity of our elections. Even before the unemployment that came from COVID-19, much of the anger in our politics came from the uneven recovery after the last Great Recession and the destabilizing economic impact of globalization and technology innovation. Many Americans no longer believe that they'll get ahead if they work hard and play by the rules. The hollowing out of mid-sized manufacturing cities in America's heartland has fueled the rise of populism on the right and left. The middle class has been squeezed for decades with stagnant wages and lower social mobility, while at the same time, the top 10th of the top 1% has seen a share of wealth more than triple. And we can sit here and say that that's Republicans all the time until we're blue in the face. But we all know that the elite has now become 
the tech giants and the liberal community. The average executive made 20 times the average of the American worker. Today, the average CEO makes more than 200 times as much. Executive compensation packages have soared even in the face of scandals, downturns, and layoffs. It's time to update our economic system and our social contract to better accommodate the changing nature of work. Government needs to return to its critical role of ensuring that fair competition is protected. While companies should focus more on long-term value creation rather than obsessing over quarterly earning reports. One way to achieve this is through a more inclusive vision of capitalism with more opportunities for being a stakeholder in shared success. For example, incentivizing corporations to pass a percentage of profits to its workers can align the interests of management and labor. And it doesn't mean that this is a right idea because I don't necessarily agree with all of this. These are ideas that need to be discussed and vetted. The government should have no decision-making process in a company's financial structure and what they do with their money. However, we want to get involved in Facebook and say what they can do on their platform. It's a catch-22, and we can't have our cake and eat it too. We need policies to encourage small business startups, particularly for those on the lower end of the income. We should ensure that trade agreements better reflect the interests of American workers as renegotiation of NAFTA did. The tax code should incentivize investments in research and development, as well as in human capital, which will in turn increase other competitiveness and economic mobility. Prime example is Apple that spends less than 1% on R&D and has a cash flow that is better than most of the countries out there, including the United States. It needs to invest in more with its money. It's at risk. That's why it takes on more debt. But they don't put the money in that Tesla does and Google does and Amazon does into research and development and infrastructure and rebuilding more and better technology. Finally, critical infrastructure reform can help strengthen our nation while strengthening the middle class for a generation to come. All this will have real costs, but we cannot ignore George Washington's warning about not ungenerously throwing upon posterity the burden we ourselves ought to bear in the form of unsustainable debt. While the transitional challenges of the 21st century, including climate change, global health crises, and an aging population, which we can all agree on, maybe some can agree on climate change or global health crisis, but we all have an aging population. No matter what it is, both sides have a cross to bear and think that one thing will be our demise. This will lead to a government somewhat larger than we had in the past. It needs to be financed responsibly with incentives to grow America's economic pie rather than simply redistribute it. The answer isn't bigger government. It's more streamlined and smarter government. These reforms pass the Unum test because they would deal everyone in while reducing some of the frustration and stagnation that drives populist anger. While America should never be punitive towards those who have been successful, the moral legitimacy of capitalism depends on whether a rising tide lifts all boats. There is a special responsibility that falls on the wealthiest city and citizens not to pay more but to reinvest in the United States, not keep their money offshore. That should be the cost of doing business in the U.S. Reinvest in America. It's a good gamble. Don't keep all your money hidden and locked away. But we also need to make the tax incentive for businesses ripe enough and seductive enough to keep them in the United States and not flee. America needs to be civically stronger across partisan lines in return for all the blessings that we've received, culture, trust, 
It's eroding across nearly every aspect of our culture. Trust in government, trust in the media, and even trust between fellow citizens have all declined dramatically over the past four decades. Democracy withers when people cynically assume the worst about their institutions and each other. We need to overcome this crisis of confidence before it cripples our country. As the late Congressman John Lewis said, maybe our forefathers and foremothers all came to this great land in different ships, but we're all in the same boat now in his farewell address. I actually love that line, and I know he was a Democrat. George Washington warned that enlightened opinion is necessary for a self-governing society, but only about a quarter of students in 2018 scored proficient or better on a basic civics test, with about 15% scoring the same on American history, according to the National Assessment of Educational Progress. And it hasn't gotten any better with COVID. This reflects long-time cuts to civics education from school curriculums across the country. Investing in civics education, again, would be an area of bipartisan agreement. An inclusive and honest assessment of American history and civics should be taught beginning in elementary school, while high school students should also be taught an unvarnished account of life in non-democratic societies so that they appreciate what it means to be an American. And here's a bold idea. Require all graduating high school students to pass the basic citizenship test that immigrants take when they apply for naturalization. And it certainly wouldn't, certainly wouldn't be a pass or fail. It's just a matter of pride. It is also time to restore a norm of national service, which would rebuild a sense of culture, cohesion, and common purpose across class, race, and regional lines. This should be more than just military service, including teaching like AmeriCorps, the Peace Corps, the National Park Service, and work in different local communities in exchange for an expanded new GI Bill that would help young people obtain a college education or vocational training without taking on crippling debt. We need to expand our commitment to racial justice and equality. Everyone agrees on this. Ending tolerance for racism in any form, both ways, and finally admitting that it is not mutually exclusive to one race, that racism has changed from the 60s and 70s, and just as sexism can now be from a woman to a man, racism can be from a minority to a white person. Plain and simple. It needs to be addressed. We need to have the conversation. We need to continue to push for criminal justice reform and invest in police retraining to ensure fair and equal treatment for all Americans without sacrificing public safety. However, we need to ensure that during those civics tests, we show that the police are there to help protect and to serve, and they are to be respected and honored. And you don't run away from the police. You don't instigate fights. You don't show disrespect. You do what you're told. You follow the law. The American ideal of judging people as individuals rather than as members of groups, and that is a goal we should always steer towards in matters of policy. No conversation about healing distrust would be complete without addressing the impact of our social media on our democracy. Platforms need to combat disinformation while cracking down on bots and trolls through individual verification. In addition, we need to find ways for news outlets to measure and monetize their success by focusing less on sensational clickbait and more on engagement-based attention metrics, less on profiting off polarization and more on responsible original reporting to foster fact-based debates. Developing a more cohesive civic culture is essential because our domestic divisions are distracting us from a growing list of external threats, including cyber assaults by Russia, our government, the economic rivalry with China, and the cost of extreme weather events that come from the climate crisis, supposedly. The volume of hurricanes that we have in the coastal cities being pounded during hurricane season is a crisis. The fires in California are most assuredly a crisis, but they have been here since the dawn of time. 
We have seen this amount of devastation ebb and flow. Whether it is climate change or not, it is a crisis with what's happening. These natural disasters have crippled Texas, California, Louisiana, and the eastern coast states. Earthquakes, fires, children who are hungry, all of these things play a part. It's not just about the climate. It's how do we respond to these things? Is our government streamlined enough to respond quickly and save people's lives? Or do we make them wait for weeks without food and water? Our adversaries spend so much time and money trying to inflame our identity fault lines. They understand it is America's Achilles heel. And that's why we do it to each other. We replicate what our enemies do because we know our soft targets. Indeed, as other nations grow stronger, they are beginning to challenge America's leadership and America's values. Some of those nations want to impose their values on us. If we don't pull ourselves together, they will succeed. The good news is that citizens across the political spectrum are now realizing that we, the people, can no longer take the stability or success of the American experiment for granted. And about 8 in 10 Americans are tired of how divided we have become. A core theme, but an unrelenting fact that no politician has tackled, including Joe Biden with his successful presidential campaign and his pledge, I'm running as a proud Democrat, but I will govern as an American president. I'll work with Democrats and Republicans. I'll work as hard for those who don't support me as those who do. Now as president, he needs to make good on that promise, and he hasn't. Rather, he has given in to the temptation to go at it alone with a razor-thin margin in Congress at a time when there are more self-identified independents in our nation than either Democrats or Republicans. There is still a strong and vital center in America that is underrepresented in our often extreme political debates, a coalition of pragmatic Americans who want our politics to be more constructive, including me. This broad group of politically homeless citizens is a tribe trying to transcend tribalism. And while that may sound quixotic, that is the story of America. Reuniting our nation will require a new movement to strengthen our democracy for all our energizing differences. We are all Americans, and we need to achieve more unity amid our diversity if a democratic republic is to overcome the global rising tide of ethno-nationalists and these autocracies. That is a cause worth fighting for, as Abraham Lincoln wrote in an even more dire time. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. As our case is new, so we must think anew and act anew. We must disenthrall ourselves, and then we shall save our country. This task now falls to us. We are divided, but not beyond repair. Guided by the Unum test, we can move forward together to find common ground and common purpose, armed with the understanding that our independence as a nation is inseparable from our interdependence as a people. We must transcend our tribalism to survive and thrive as the United States of America. Now, you may agree with some of the things. You may disagree with others. I don't agree with everything in that article. But I think it sums it up nicely. It's a balanced opinion. Both sides are to blame. I get accused of riding the middle. I don't ride the middle. When I go to the voting booth, I'm left ticket. I vote Republican, 100%. Maybe that's right ticket. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Wherever the Republicans are, I usually vote down. But there have been times where I voted Democrat. There are Democratic policies that I actually agree with. I really don't care about the spotted owl. I don't care about global warming, but I think the inner cities need our help. I think we need to do a better job of finding compassion again in what we do. I will tell you, when I sit down and have a beer or go to a fire with friends, I I don't 
judge them on who they are. I judge the amount of conversation we have and find out if it's a good time. Facebook has divided us. Social media has desensitized us. And we have to get back to having human conversation. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If you're moved by the show sometimes, if you enjoy it or you hate it, it doesn't matter. Let's talk about it. Come on the show. I have an open invitation to everybody. Let me know. We'll book you a time and we'll come on. And we'll just shoot the crap. Shoot the shit. It doesn't have to be a topic. I don't care what you know and what you don't know. I want to learn as much as I can about my listeners because I don't want things that happened today to happen. I'm sure that Abraham could teach me a lot, and I am absolutely pissed off about that more than anything, is that I can't learn something from a man who has two degrees, supposedly. I'm sure I would be humbled by his intellect. I just find it disturbing that he doesn't feel the same. Folks, thank you for joining, listening, watching, liking, subscribing, all those wonderful things. It means a great deal to me. Please do just that if you haven't already. Throw a like and a follow, a share. You can follow me right here on YouTube on that red envelope, or you can just click on any of the social media, follow me there, or go to donutfriendly.com. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. 21 veterans a day commit suicide. It is way too many. Actually, 22 a day commit suicide. It is way too many. Reach out to a vet. Post-traumatic stress, TBIs, depression, anxiety are all too real. We lose too many brothers and sisters. Make that phone call. Reach out to them. Just ask a vet, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What can I do to help you? Anything to get them to start talking. If they can't, you can reach out to me and I'll help you. And if that doesn't work, go to donutfriendly.com. Click on the VCL link and you'll be connected to a VCL operator immediately. If you are not a veteran, they will help you also. It's just what they do. Folks, thank you for joining me for 136. See you tomorrow for 137. Go Avs, go Houston. Have a great night. Be kind to each other. Remember, you can like it. You can love it, you can hate it, you can despise me. But either way, all I ask is that you don't unfriend me. Have a good night, everybody. See you tomorrow. 